the current state of blockchain gaming is not at par with traditional gaming. But I think we are at that point where there is enough money invested in these games. And, and you have a lot of these intrinsically motivated gaming studios which want to deliver quality games. Hello, and welcome to The Crypto Brief, a podcast from the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology. Every week, we get together to discuss current events and trends in blockchain technology, tokenization, DeFi, NFTs, mining, and related aspects of the crypto ecosystem. I'm your co-host, Ryan Stubbe, Director of Bitcoin Mining, and I'm joined by Jason Ward, Head of the Blockchain Incubator, Parth Gargava, Product Architect within Fidelity Labs, and Jack Newrider, Research Analyst with Fidelity Digital Assets. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that this discussion is for educational purposes only and should not be viewed as investment advice or a recommendation for any security or asset. The views expressed are those of the co-hosts and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. As we all know, digital assets are speculative and highly volatile and are only for those investors with a high risk tolerance. So let's dive into what's been happening recently. Hey guys, how's it going? Going well. How you doing, Parth? Doing fantastic. Great. We don't have Jason today, so it's just going to be the three of us. Today, we're really excited to have a discussion around blockchain gaming and Web3. Um, I think this is obviously an area that we hear, you know, a ton about um, when we think about like the promises of, you know, NFTs and tokenization and I think just Web3 in general. And I'm particularly excited to have this conversation because I know Parth, you like spend a fair amount of time um, in this space and thinking about this and I don't. And I think like my exposure to gaming is The Sims and and I'm talking like the early, you know, that's still a game that people play, I think, I hope, because it was great when I played it, you know, when I played, you still had a CD-ROM, right? And so it's been quite a bit of time um, since then. And obviously the nature of gaming has changed a lot, how we think about it, you know, whether it's through gaming consoles or online games. And so, um, yeah, we should just jump right in. Ryan, two, two quick comments. One, a lot of the crypto games right now still look like Sims. So you're not too far off. You can still catch up. And then it kind of reminds me of my college days when you had long weekends and you would just do 48 hours of like gaming marathon, just playing Call of Duty. Right. So I guess like just starting at a really high level, can you just provide maybe key differences between, you know, quote unquote, traditional gaming and maybe Web3 games? And then I think we could talk a bit more about blockchain based gaming from there. Yeah, absolutely. So what I really want to do is maybe first give some context around Web3 gaming and how it's become a buzzword. And then we can talk about the differences between traditional gaming and Web3 gaming. So I know this is one of those topics which we've been saying, hey, Web3 gaming, we've been early, and we've been saying that for the last three to four years now, right? And to our disappointment, it hasn't really taken off. So if you're in this space, you've heard about Web3 gaming a lot, uh, but frankly, all the games that I have played have been slightly disappointing and um, honestly not fun, right? So, So maybe the idea is to really differentiate on how Web3 gaming is different from traditional gaming because I right now I still gravitate towards traditional gaming more than Web3 gaming, right? In spite of being in crypto, in spite of liking this technology. And so in traditional gaming, you have two things. One is that if you are a player, you do not ever own in-game assets, right? So if you buy or acquire any sort of assets, you never have full ownership of them. And then the second is a lot of these gamers are limited to the rules and features set by game developers. 
So if I am playing a game, I'm restricted by what I can do by the gaming studio. And that's what's different in Web3 Gaming. So in Web3 Gaming, the lucrative part is that you can buy, sell, and trade these in-game assets. And uh, whenever you're playing games, the tools or your assets are are pretty much everything, right? So that's how you level up. I know you were talking about Sims earlier. And if you think about all the older games, which were far less complex, so you think about Pac-Man, you think about uh, Mario, right? All of these games, you could do finite things. You did not have tools or in-game assets per se, but the games in the last seven, eight years are far more complex, right? So your tools or assets, your skin, they, they are everything. Like people pay a lot to to get ownership of that. Well, and I think like there is like, you know, like the before the metaverse maybe even had a name or, or, or I should say the name went mainstream. I think a lot of these games were kind of moving in that direction where you had your digital avatar and you literally immersed yourself in a digital world given developments in software and in hardware kind of with AR, VR. And I think we should talk maybe about some of the barriers to adoption and why maybe it's still slightly nascent compared to traditional gaming. But I, I certainly think we're getting closer with advances in those two arenas to mainstream adoption. Yeah. And I think mainstream adoption comes when you have uh, more people having fun in the game. So I'll, I'll give you an example because you you bring up a good point about the metaverse. So I have a nephew who's five and for Christmas, he doesn't want gifts anymore. He just wants a Roblox like credit card, right? So he, all he wants to do, like he wants me to fill in $50 worth of Roblox credit so that he can play in that metaverse. And so the, the kind of games that the next generation is playing is far more immersive, far more complex compared to what uh, we have played in the past. Um, when I play Call of Duty, you have to grind and play for hours to get a golden shotgun, right? But if I want to trade that with Jack uh, and I, I want him to play with that gun for a few days, there is no possibility. I don't have that option in traditional gaming. And that's where uh, blockchain gaming differs. I think you guys are bringing up an interesting point, which is a lot of these buzzwords that people like to attract to, which is crypto, metaverse, AI, like those are like the cool in words. Uh, and this is one of those areas where crypto and like the metaverse and alternate realities actually does collide together. The idea of like some form of digital property ownership, as well as like immersive experiences, whereas if we think of like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they don't have a lot to do with the, the idea of like a metaverse at the moment, right? They're kind of their own abstract things. But blockchain gaming is one of those few areas where you have these two large trends that are sort of colliding to some degree. But I also feel like that's actually what pisses off the gamers. It's the buzzwords, right? Because when they play these games, especially when I'm playing a game, I'm not playing to get some sort of monetary value. Like I'm just playing playing the game for fun, right? And so sure, I want a few unlocks. I want to give you the assets that I uh, worked hard for. Uh, but at the same time, it shouldn't be a play to earn uh, sort of a game. Well, and that's kind of why I, I pressed on the usability is because I think that you're dealing with a market segment that is engaged with these games because of the experience of playing. And if the technology that underpins the game makes it in a way that it changes the experience i think that may not be you know as tolerated as other you know potential markets or applications right yep. and so it really truly has to be you know a frictionless 
experience, right? Yep. Um, and, and, and in a way that you're playing the game and it really isn't any different, you know, running in Web3, right? And I use that obviously term very loosely as kind of a, in a buzzy way, I guess. So sorry for that. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like, you know, whether it's running on, you know, a, a gaming-based blockchain or running on, you know, cloud, right? Um, or, or company servers, right? I think the experience probably sh- can't really change all of that much. I think that's changing, Ryan. So let me just give you a few stats on how just gaming in general is getting components from uh, from the blockchain and how gaming is get, getting better, right? So, so this is my opinion, but I feel like 2023 and 2024 is when like gaming, Web3 gaming is going towards its prime time. And so I'll, I'll tell you why. So the amount of investment by VCs in gaming in web3 gaming in 2020 was close to 190 million dollars in 2021 it was 3.7 billion dollars and in 2022 it's close to 7.6 billion dollars so even if you're not too optimistic about blockchain gaming the money invested in this space should tell you something like if if you throw 7 billion dollars on a freaking waffle maker like it it'll it'll be pretty fancy and something interesting is going to come out of it right so it's it's worth noting that a lot of these AAA games are expensive and they're also time consuming, right? So um, one of these games that I really like is called Shrapnel, which is a AAA game, first person shooter game. It's the most real gaming experience you can get. And they were funded in November, 2021. And they just had their alpha launch two weeks ago. So it kind of tells you how long it takes to build a robust, uh, fun and engaging game. So when we're saying user experience is ultimately the thing that really matters, and then blockchain is bringing sort of an added value proposition of now there's some sort of ownership of some of these digital collectible items. Uh, But for me, one of the questions that would come to mind, and I think for a lot of people listening, is why do we need a blockchain to do this? If, If users don't really care about like, decentralization of these assets that are probably a very small portion of their net worth. Uh, why do we need a blockchain? And then how does that inform the types of blockchains that are some of these games are popular on? Like I, I've heard that Tron has a lot of like gaming going on because, yeah, we, we kind of know it's relatively centralized, uh, but that doesn't matter for the gaming application. And and I had a very similar thought, so let me pile on here, and then you can you can respond. Part I think like from a usability standpoint, right? Like one of the promises of you know blockchain based gaming, t- to Jack's point, is the fact that you can retain more control and or ownership over these these digital assets that you have in these various games, right? And 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 potentially, I think the idea is that you can bring them from one game or platform to another, right? But I don't know, and again, I'm not closely following the space, but based on my 50,000 foot view into it, it feels like that has not been achieved or realized yet, right? I think like you have these different blockchains or platforms standing up and they're still fairly, you know, I'll use the word siloed in the, in the fact that you can't really, you know, transfer assets across these games yet. There isn't that interoperability part yeah. of it. I'd be really curious to get your thoughts. So, so let me address Ryan's point first and then I'll, I'll go to Jack, right? So when you think about blockchain gaming, the biggest bottleneck has been scaling challenges, right? And how these games are scattered across different blockchains. So you had a lot of blockchain games on Avalanche, some on Ethereum, but they never essentially took off since transactions are expensive. But now in the last four months, 
you have layer twos like Arbitrum, Nova, which was launched in I think November last year, which is solely focused on gaming, right? So and so it's providing these ultra low cost transactions and strong security guarantees. But what's more is that the consequence of having a more gaming specific blockchain is that now you see a lot of these games like Pirate Nation, Treasure DAO, all move from different scattered blockchains into the Arbitrum Nova. So now you're getting that entire ecosystem in one single place or in a few places, right? So so now you see a lot of these games all uh, be, being hosted on Arbitrum Nova. What's also more is you have Immutable X, which is a big gaming blockchain, right? And so they joined forces with Polygon to focus just on Web3 to make gaming costs cheaper. So, so, so you see a lot of these scattered blockchains or scattered games now finding kind of their home in a way. Uh, in Arbitrum, Nova, Immutable X, and Polygon. And so, so, so before you move on to Jack's question, so is transaction fees really the primary driver for having kind of a purpose-built gaming blockchain? I mean, I guess the question really is, what are the other kind of positive externalities of doing so versus using, you know, like yeah. a layer one? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's a really good point. And so I think. To answer that question, I think I'll have to slightly go back to the history of Web3 Gaming and then come back to what the advantages are of being into Arbitrum Nova. So in my opinion, the history of blockchain gaming started when you had collectibles like CryptoKitties or you had games like Axie Infinity. And they showed us that virtual goods can have real value, right? And gaming can be more than just entertainment. But then in the second half, gamers quickly realize that these games feel kind of sketchy, right? Because it's now more about making money than actually playing a game, right? But now, because of Arbitrum Nova, because of Immutable X, which are dedicated blockchains, A, you have uniform tokenomics policies, and you have these really slick games which focus on user experience. So I remember playing DeFi Kingdom last year, and it was the worst use of anyone's time. Every move that I made, I had to sign a MetaMask transaction until I just gave up. So I, I, I go forward, sign a transaction, then I have to take a write, sign a transaction again. And it's just, it's, it's a horrible UX. With Arbitrum Nova, Immutable X, mostly focusing on having pre-signed transactions, you get the traditional gaming experience. So what that means is you sign once, you give access to the blockchain and say, hey, you know what? If I'm playing this game, don't ask me to sign again and again. And so that's how the UX gets much closer to traditional gaming, but at the same time, keeping it uh, really simple. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, and that's kind of what I expected. I think there's also like a scalability piece to it, I, I would assume as well, right? Where, you know, you just have greater need for higher throughput for individual maybe transactions and less need for decentralization, for example, right? When you think about different trade-offs. Yeah, I don't think gamers care about decentralization, right? Well, I've been gaming on like, you know, a singular company's servers for all of this time, right? So I would I would assume not, but it might become more important when you think about kind of um, transferability of assets across different games. Exactly. And those are two different things. So a lot of times when you're playing games, you are so deeply invested in them, right? And then one fine day, the, the rules change. Right, So your favorite map on Vanguard, Call of Duty, cannot be played anymore. Your favorite magical axe is not, is not found anymore. Right, And so in Web3 gaming, the game rules and governance are not just controlled by the design studio, but instead, it's also you also have a strong contribution from the community of players. And so this kind of allows for a more uh, democratic and transparent gaming experience. 
So, so it's not about having decentralization. I think it's about having a say in how the game progresses. And that's the value that uh, gamers get by using blockchain gaming uh, tools. Now, how about uh, the trend in, in Web3 gaming versus like Web2 gaming? Are these both happening in their own silos or are we starting to see some of these Web2 games that we all kind of know taking a peek around the corner and saying, hey, this might be where the, the ball is headed kind of thing and investing resources into some of this? Yeah, that's a great question. So what's really happening is if you have a lot of these popular games, some of them tried introducing the idea of digital collectibles, right? So they called them NFTs. This was two years ago. And they got they got strong backlash, right? So the gamers were like, hey, we, we want nothing to do with crypto. Don't make it crypto-based. But on the other side, you have a lot of these mainstream streamers who I follow. So you have Dr. Disrespect. Um, you may have, you may or may not have seen him. Uh, but uh, a lot of these game streamers are now actually making their own games and they are also incorporating NFT elements to it. So there's this really popular project which I'm looking out for called Dead Drop. That's a game by Dr. Disrespect. He's one of the biggest uh, Twitch streamers or YouTube streamers. And uh, he, he's openly mentioned that if you want to access my game, you have to buy this Founders Pass NFT and there will be a lot of blockchain elements in the game. So it's kind of going both ways. The big players are not touching crypto. However, the new uh, games that are being built out are having some elements of, of crypto. So I want to, and maybe I think a good example would be to um, to talk about Immutable X. Have you guys heard of Immutable X before? I have not, or maybe so, I have, but I forget what exactly it is. So, so Immutable X is a is a blockchain gaming platform, but what they really did now is that they recently launched something called as Immutable Passport, which is a self custodial wallet that has a single sign on for all the games in that ecosystem. And it also has an inbuilt marketplace for gamers. So all the important infrastructure that any gamer might want across multiple games will, will reside in, in one single place, which is called the immutable uh, passport. And so, uh, so I think you're seeing, seeing a lot of these new ecosystems, which give you an aggregated experience in one single place, which is kind of similar to what traditional gaming is. So you made a comment earlier that hardcore gamers likely aren't there for like the monetary piece of it. But then you mentioned streaming. I was thinking about that as you were talking earlier. That is a monetization activity, right? Through ads and other types of viewing metrics, right? Those streamers are able to generate in some cases a lot of revenue, right? And so I do think like if you open the door, again, while not changing the experience of the game itself, if you open the door to, you know, being able to retain more value in terms of what you're investing into, you know, a specific game, as well as introducing some sort of potential revenue opportunity or financial upside, that could kind of maybe change the market dynamics of gaming in general. That's such a good point because, um, you know, blockchain gaming is becoming mainstream when you go to game development conference, GDC, which has nothing to do with crypto, right? So this is completely for gamers. And there they talk about how they can use crypto for streaming services. So right now, if I have to pay uh, 100 stars to Dr. Disrespect on Twitch, uh, like Twitch is taking maybe a significant percentage. But now a lot of these streamers in their description put their Ethereum address or their Venmo uh, account details. And so now I can just, if I, if I like their content, I can pay them directly. Another buzzword here, right? Creator economy. 
but they're but it's connected. It's all a little buzzy, but I I think like and this kind of I think is something that I want to talk to you about, Parth. Like, it's buzzy, but maybe less so now, right? To your earlier point, like we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, and maybe for a while there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of momentum. There was a lot of pushback from the community, but now like you're starting to see, you know, some adoption, certainly some advancements on the usability side from a wallets and protocol level upgrades to be able to make it more of a seamless experience, especially with like a recent Ethereum upgrade, for example, right? That was one example on layer one. I guess, what are some of the recent wins right for this space as, as far as the tech stack goes and then beyond that what else is going to maybe could be potentially a hot area over the next year or two what else needs to happen to kind of get us over the hump yeah no th- those are all loaded questions so maybe what i'm gonna do well, is you know I'm, I'm good for a, like a loaded <laughs> question <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna address what jack said first uh which was more about the created economy and tokenomics and then maybe also talk about ryan your point around ux So the problem with current blockchain gaming is that the quality of these games are really bad. And as as I was alluding to earlier, like a lot of these crypto games look like what games used to be in 2009 or 2010. The UX for these games is even worse, right? So like I explained earlier, you have to download a game on Steam. That's step number one. You make a crypto wallet, you fund it, you buy NFTs on OpenSea. And then you use those NFTs in the game. You sign transactions for simple task. And at the end of the game, if you really want to cash out, you you have to make another, uh, you, there's another process for that. And so it kind of takes the entire fun out of it, right? Like there's there's no fun if I'm doing these seven steps to, to do something really simple. And the second part is one of the biggest issues with a lot of these games, which comes back to uh, Jack's point, is that a lot of these token design or tokenomics have been focusing on incentives only. So even though a lot of these gaming studios think that they are focused on the creators or the people who are streaming or people who are playing well, but it just it's, it just leaves a sour taste for most gamers. So what I'm really excited about is just the idea that players can now monetize their time or they can exit a game without losing all the money that they invested in. So a lot of times if I'm playing Call of Duty, if I've put in $300 in the game, I, if I want to play something else, my gaming reputation just goes to zero. Or if I create a new account, I'm starting from scratch. But the second part is, uh, and this is where creator economy is really important, is that if you are, if you are a creator who's focused or deeply invested in a game, you almost get equity-like exposure in the gaming world. You have some skin in the game to actually, you want that game to succeed, right? Equity. So I just want to clarify equity, like in the sense that you own a, you own a portion of that ecosystem, right? Through, through the tokens. That's correct. So if I am playing a game like Dookie Dash, which came out of Yuga Labs, I would need to use ape coins to play that game, right? Or trade things in the marketplace. And then the third is mostly around decision-making or governance. So if I'm someone who's deeply invested, I can also dictate uh, or the community can dictate what the games should be. But what I'm most excited about, and I think you'll see this more, I just, I've just i just seen one or two games which do this, is the idea of having interoperable games. So you know how you have the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe where you have these in- individual superheroes with their own movies, but then they come together and then uh, make bigger movies, right? So you, So with blockchain, you have that idea of having a game on top of each other, on top of another. And that's something which I think is a is a trend 
to uh, look out for, yeah. which is multiplying universes of games. That's really interesting. And I think like it could potentially, and again, this maybe is my opinion, right? Lead to like these super ecosystems of, of games like built, you know, adjacent to each other. Right. And I think that probably goes back also to like the platform level in terms of, you know, like Arbitrum Nova, for example, like if you're all kind of on the same tech stack, then it, maybe it makes it easier to have that level of interoperability between these games. And then of course it'll be up to the designers, right. To make that experience game-like right? Instead of doing, you know, a swaps through your, your wallet, <laughs> right? Like actually having, you know, bridges, physical bridges. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's important just in the sense of these games to actually have a lot of these games exist in the same ecosystem. So if they're all existing in Arbitrum Nova or Immutable X or Polygon, I think it's, it's better in terms of user experience. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the direction where I think a lot of these games are going. If you want to start uh, playing games, Check out Superior, Beacon, uh, Shrapnel. All of these have a digital collectible component, but at the same time, they are not about like blockchain, crypto, or NFTs. Like you, you right. don't even see those kind of words. Would you fund a MetaMask with a, a small amount of ETH? How does one actually go about playing a game? It's the same. You just have to connect with any wallet that you have. Is there a monetary like baseline that you need? You need to have ten dollars in a wallet. No, no, like you that. do not. So you could. So there are two different options. The first option is that you spend enough enough hours to get to a point where you actually are pretty good, and then you get those assets or some of those assets, or you can buy your way out. <laughs> so you can convert your ETH into time token or magic tokens, and then get a lot of these assets. It's kind of similar to how you see in normal games, right? So if you do not level up, or if you do not scale yourselves to a certain level, then there's no way you can defeat boss number four, right? So you kind of get stuck there. <laughs> so the other option is you grind a lot, get the necessary tools, and then defeat the boss, or you just buy your, your way out of it. Like, I, I'll give you an example. So so Dookie Dash is this game uh, which came out of Yuga Labs. And uh, the, the problem is you can play it only if you have a board ape. So I obviously do not have a board ape, uh, auto mutant ape. And it seems like a fun game. I, I watch a lot of people on Twitch stream Dookie Dash, right? Uh, so Yuga Labs is one of those few companies which have sort of added a utility to the Ape token. So now you can actually stake your Ape tokens and it's almost it becomes like a dividend stock for Gamify tokens, right? Or you can lend it or you can actually use it in the game. So there's potentially greater utility. And I think like for digital collectibles and in, in general, right, the idea is that I think the, the the ultimate vision is you would have some level of utility with those that go along with those in these various digital worlds. Right. So going back to your question, Jack, you can start with zero. But at the same time, if you start with zero, there will be a point where you will have to either put a lot of hours or buy uh, some of those assets. Uh, and then you have a lot of these token-gated games like Dookie Dash, where you have to have a board ape or a mutant ape to be a part of that game. So going back to what you said, Ryan, about what are some things which I'm looking out for? A, interoperable games. And then B, this whole idea of gamify or gaming finance. Like, you know how we have NFT finance or DeFi? The idea that I can now stake my ape tokens, I can lend it to someone else, but at the same time, I can add some utility to those ape tokens by buying assets. Uh, so, 
I know that's a lot, <laughs> but hopefully this motivates a few people to to check out uh, a few blockchain games. Yeah, no, I, this was incredibly enlightening. Um, so I I appreciate the lesson part. It's it's not an area that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, but certainly seems like it's an area that um, is a tremendous growth opportunity. Certainly something that we should be uh, keeping our finger on. Yeah, I do want to add that the current state of blockchain gaming is not at par with traditional gaming. But I think we are at that point where there is enough money invested in these games. And and you have a lot of these intrinsically motivated gaming studios which want to deliver quality games. So maybe in the next two to three years is when you would see a lot of these uh, games actually getting out in action. A breakthrough moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, like One example is this game called Big Time. I have uh, private access to it, but it's an RPG game uh, which has action combat. And they have a whole complex economy around it. And it's built by the ex-CEO of Decentraland, right? And so so typically, if you have these AAA games, which are slightly more complex, kind of like GTA, right? It's not just driving a car. It's also doing a lot of these tasks. That really feels like it's the future of gaming. I mean, to your point, traditional, I guess you could call them Web2 games, have become in their own right, even X digital you know digital assets digital collectibles extremely complex in that they're kind of multi-vector games with sophisticated storylines Ryan did I convince you to play something other than Sims yeah I mean you know I, I still I, I'm, I'm still a little bit of a fanboy of, of the Sims like <laughs> uh, I, and it's still around I think it's been and it's been around for quite some time so it clearly uh I don't know must have fairly decent followership still but I do I, I definitely I'm gonna you know maybe spend uh, some of my holiday playing some of these games and, and really seeing what the UX is like I could see some uh, digital collectibles making their way to Sims someday I, I think so too it's it feels it feels like you know that's the future but yeah so I you know I think maybe let's leave it there for now. I think, like I said, this is this is something where you know I'm sure we'll be talking more about it. Um, we always are kind of in the weeds, you know, on the tech side of things. So it was fun to hear kind of about the actual UX and kind of what some of the broader macro implications will be for gaming in general as we move in this direction. Um, but Parthia, yeah, I want to want to thank you for thank you for the lesson, um, and you know everyone, thank you for joining. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks so much. Digital assets are speculative and highly volatile, can become illiquid at any time, and are only for those investors willing to risk losing some or all of their investment and who have the experience and ability to evaluate the risks and merits of an investment. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast was produced by Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, also known as FCAT. FCAT does not offer digital assets nor provide clearing or custody of such assets. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide tax, legal, insurance, or investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for any security or other asset by any fidelity entity or any third party. Views expressed are as of the date indicated based on the information available at the time and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. Fidelity and any other third parties mentioned in the podcast are independent entities and not affiliated. Mentioning them does not suggest a recommendation or endorsement by Fidelity. This information is not intended for distribution to or use by any person or entity in any jurisdiction or country where such distribution or use would be contrary to local law or regulation. Persons accessing this information are required to inform themselves about and observe such restrictions. Third-party trade 
trademarks appearing herein are the property of the respective owners. All others are the property of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023. FMR LLC. All rights reserved. 1040156.